All right, guys, welcome back. Speed Up and Get Your Hits podcast. I think we're on episode 18. Thank you guys for uh, listening and watching and viewing and subscribing, submitting all the questions. Uh, my name is Billy. I'm with Spectrain. With me, as always, I have Nick from Alex Training Group and Brennan with uh, Vortex Edge. If you guys are new to the podcast, um, we're just three shooters and shooting instructors that like to shoot and train and get better and help other people do the same. And that's kind of what this podcast is all about just uh, shooting getting better and uh unfortunately we have to talk about like gear and stuff occasionally as well because what all y'all really want to hear about but uh really we try to focus on uh getting better and how to do that and all that kind of stuff so hopefully these conversations are helpful and educational to you guys fellas welcome back thanks for being here uh what, what what's been going on last couple weeks any any updates to share with the people when you guys been working on anything interesting yeah, I've been working on uh, a bunch of rifle stuff. So um, Ben and Joel's book, uh, mm -hmm. the the, uh, the rifle book, yep. uh, adaptive rifle, <laughs> mm -hmm. that's coming out, and they sent it to me a couple weeks ago. I got to read it and uh, check up on the drills and all that jazz. Make sure all the times of all the drills were um, kind of right in there. Sure. So yeah, man, uh, that's what I've been doing. I've been doing a shitload of rifle. I probably shot. Uh, three, four thousand rounds of rifle in the last two weeks. So it's been quite a bit. It's a lot. Yep. 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 It's a good book. I think everyone's going to like it. Um, yeah. A lot of really, really good stuff in it. Yeah. A lot of really practical stuff that makes a ton of sense. Awesome. So. Good, good to, good to hear. Um, the, the, I guess the kind of the, the predecessor for the, on the, on the pistol side of the house there that they, those guys put out was uh, super squared away one of my number one recommendations for people on the on the pistol shot of the house and uh so looking forward to seeing the seeing the rifle version for sure i've been meaning to at least get out and run uh matt's cqb warm-up drill since they posted that but i literally have not even been to the range with time uh in like a month uh so uh so i still gotta gotta knock that out but cool that's a pretty that good set of standards yeah yeah very very spicy Especially the first, there's there's one string where you have to go from standing to prone, uh, and you're shooting like three different targets uh, from the prone, mm. which is actually pretty pretty difficult. <laughs> like the first couple times I tried it, I straight up didn't make it part time, and I thought I was like doing it pretty fast. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's that's a, that's a good set. Yeah, the only way I make that part time is if I keep the rifle in my shoulder. Like if I break the rifle down to go down to mm. prone. And then I have to remount the rifle when I get into prone. It doesn't work out for me. So, like, I keep the rifle shoulder dropped down to prone. That way it's already um, mounted and I could just get to shooting right away. I know, you know, I talked to Matt about it and he said that's not what he does. But <laughs> I, I don't know how he makes the time on mounting the gun. Um, I, I have to keep it mounted. Maybe I'm missing something, but, yeah, that's super spicy. Yeah, why, why would you not? Seems seems logical to me. Yeah, I don't know. Cool. Um, man, not not a whole lot. Um, I I've been spending some time doing some stronghand weekend stuff lately. Um, because we're kind of kind of I don't know. That always comes up at matches and stuff. So gross. Yeah. It is gross, especially weekend. <laughs> I've uh, I've gotten pretty happy with with kind of how, like the way I'm pushing stronghand performance, though. Especially mm. weekend is 
still feels like just super unnatural and I hate it. Uh, but strong hand is starting to feel uh, kind of better than it ever has. So like, I think um, something that stood out to me. So like, um, I think a lot of what happens when people start practicing single hand only stuff is like, um, like I hate to beat a dead horse with like confirmation levels. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, people just go straight to like confirmation three when they start shooting like strong hand stuff, right? Yep. Like they want to see their dot and like, Oh my God, it's moving so much. And like, uh, I have to make it be still. I'm like, bro, it's still a seven yard target. Right. Like that dot can be moving a shit ton. Right. And so like that kind of suddenly clicked for me a little bit. And I was like, yo, I am seeing like red just go nuts in the middle of the target but it's in the middle of the dang target. And so I'm going to yeah. just start, I'm just going to start hitting the trigger. Right. And you know, there's, there's obviously some things that you can do to kind of keep the gun on target a little bit more or whatever. Um, and so you can do that, but just recognizing like, Whoa, like it seems very out of control. Um, but it's not as out of control as you might think. And it kind of takes me back to like learning how to split the gun fast like when I first learned how to do that it was like, I felt like I wasn't seeing anything or that it was like somehow wrong. Um, but recognizing that with single hand only stuff, I think is pretty, uh, pretty next level. Um, I'm not there yet with my weekend because I feel like my dot doesn't return correctly or with any like real, um, consistency, but my strong hand, I've, I've started to get a real consistent pattern with that. And so now I can recognize that as the dot flashes back, I know what that looks like and actually press a trigger and call good shots. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been fun. I've been pushing, like trying to do like consistently one nines clean, like a seven yards for like a bill drill um out of like a outside the waistband rig so um yeah it's a good challenge um eventually i'll move on and put like a ton of time into weekend as well um but i think practically shooting being able to shoot strong hand only uh maybe has a little bit more um application but yeah it's been fun well not fun but it's been uh it's been good for me I I did a uh, a strong hand weekend day recently. Actually, right 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 before nationals, it was pretty interesting. I went to the range. It's kind of my last practice session before. Uh, maybe, I think maybe the last one before nationals. But anyway, I was in nationals like training mode, and mm. it's dumping rain out, and so like it was just like not paper targets were just like not really a thing. It was it was raining that hard, and so I pulled down to our 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 uh one of our stages you guys both know what i'm talking about but this, this with all the steel at, mm-hmm. uh, at pha there was just like kind of a bunch of steel later down range and i basically did like it, i did probably 600 rounds of basically like strong hand weekend only like steel challenge style practice just like one shot per steel like going through it from the draw to bing bing bing, bing you know trying trying to go one for one for you know eight, eight or ten shots in a string in a row and it was actually very educational. That was really good. Uh, just pushing vision super hard, making sure you're actually stopping the gun precisely. All, all the stuff you do um, with uh, with two hands on the gun but just forces you to be really, really honest with yourself when you only have one hand on the gun. And uh, yeah, that, that stuff that starts out, to be like autopilot with two hands suddenly takes all the focus again. You're like, oh, I have to think about all this stuff uh, when you take one hand away. 
you know, ended up having a top 10 finish on stage one at, at, at nationals, which was the, the all strong hand, like weekend, hmm. uh, one shot per, and it was all, it was one shot per target. And it was almost all partials. Like it was, there was no shoots everywhere and tuxes and slashers. And it was like very few open targets and it was a lot of moving in and out of positions. And it's funny because like a lot of people were like, man, you shot that so aggressive. And I'm like, not a shot it exactly the same way that I would with two hands on the gun, except I only had one. Like all your entries and exits are the same. <laughs> like the way you're transitioning the gun's the same, like all of that. Like there's no reason not to have your gun up early coming into a position just because it's like weekend only. You know what I mean? Like all, all that stuff is the same, but a lot, you know, a lot, you know it gets in your head. If, uh, if you're not used to it, but yeah, yeah, that's cool. Cool. Well, I've had a, a super busy um, last couple weeks, couple couple interesting stories and uh, things to talk about. Starting with uh, kind of a, a class little little class AR. I'm not going to talk about it too much. I was the only one there, but I jumped in a couple weeks ago. A uh, a three day ballistic experience with. Uh, Old Mark Smith of uh, GBS Training Group and old Bill Blowers, Tech Tactical. First time training with either of those guys. I had, uh, I've kind of, I think I mentioned on here before. I'm kind of doing like, a, uh, I've been grinding on like CEO specifics to stuff for like a very long time, and I'm kind of taking a couple months to just like do other stuff and, and changing, getting out of my comfort zone a little bit, doing things a little bit different. And uh, I've been wanting to jump in with Bill anyway before he supposedly was going to retire, although apparently he's not. Um, but, uh, but, uh, anyway, jumped into that, jumped into that course, bunch of stuff that like, you know, I just haven't either, either haven't spent time on in a very long time or was just a very different style of training. Pretty much, you know, like all, all B8s for three days, uh, a lot of like gun handling, heavy stuff, you know, sync, like we were talking about, a lot, actually a lot of single hand stuff, you know, stuff I haven't just worked on in years, like malfunction clearance and, you know, all, all this kind of stuff, but, uh, it was actually pretty interesting um forced me to do a lot of things differently than i, I normally did have a really good time if once bill retires i, I i'm gonna tell him i think he needs to go into stand-up comedy because i would i would pay to go see that in a heartbeat bill and is the has, funniest person that i know for sure dude. hands down hands down <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah had us had us rolling but uh so anyway that was really good and this will this will make sense here in a second. But um, got home from that. Was home for like less than seven hours, and before I hit the road to Chicago. And I say that because I didn't even take time to repack. Um, and again, this is leading up to another story. But I just basically grabbed all of my stuff from being at uh, with with JBS and Taprak for three days, and just threw it in my truck and headed to Chicago. So while I was up there, I had a good opportunity to actually hang out with uh, Donovan Point One Tactics. Um, for uh, spent, spent some time on the range together. Super cool, man. First time I've been in, shot with Donovan before. I've been in actually one of his classes at ORD and talked a lot and stuff. But first time just actually kind of getting one on one with him on the range and sharing ideas and shooting. Uh, it was it was really, really interesting. We played um, kind of a, a game that he has set up that without spoiling the whole thing, I think he kind of keeps it a little bit close to the vest. But it was, it's essentially setting up long stages um, that are all steel. Um, just like, like steel littered downrange with multiple shooting positions. 
multiple engagements from each, each position, but you have to go one for one on steel the entire time, or you basically fail. You fail out of it, and uh, you like don't don't get a time or whatever, which is super interesting because obviously we're we're going head to head on stuff, trying to beat beat each other's times, and we're like we're freaking going at it, right? I mean, we're pushing it. Uh, but you had to go one for one on steel for you know. 12 or 15 shots in a row right um which was which was really good like it's not what i would have picked to have done but we actually had a really good time i think it was really good for me i don't know what what, what do you guys think i'll i'll give some thoughts but what do you think is difference like in how you approach you know cl- up close either with rifle or with, or with pistol but kind of up close when you're going fast shooting steel versus paper what, what, what do you what do you what's your mindset switch for that what do you think is different about it uh for me personally man i don't see much difference other than like yeah there's not a whole lot of difference for me like i try to see the center of it um because if i just see the entire thing i know i know that i'm just gonna glance over it and probably miss so like i but like i try to see the center of the paper too like i try to pick a very specific spot whether it's paper or steel i i would think that i shoot it the same way Hmm. I think a lot of people want to think that they would shoot it the same way, but I don't think they do. Because with a paper, um, like I'm okay if I get Charlie. Um, so if I miss the eight, like I'm looking in the center of the target, which is in the middle of the A zone. If I miss the entire A zone, usually it's in the form of a Charlie, uh, which still gets me three points. <clears throat> and if I miss the steel, uh, I get zero points. And then it costs me time because I never leave steel standing. So I'm going to go back and make it up. So for me, it's like uh, I have to make steel be a much smaller target. So like I have to like put a little A zone in that steel to actually think about hitting. So like for me, it's like I have to hit it near the center of the calibration zone. Now, like sometimes I get lucky and like hit it on the top little thing or whatever and it goes down. Fine. Um, But I think it's a kind of a risk or reward uh, type deal where I have to apply more uh, care to those shots. Um, but I do think specifically with like big steel or steel up close, it's deceiving because it's really not very difficult to hit, but the, uh, payoff or or the risk for not hitting it, um, will usually tank your time pretty, pretty severely. It seems like. Yeah. It's almost almost like we've talked about this before. Yeah, no, really, really good stuff, man. I think to me that that's it, right? I mean, as somebody, you know, me personally, my training, I, I hardly ever shoot steel. Um, and so the, the subconscious programming for me is like, man, on a, on a, like you said, on a, on a, on a, on a paper target, what I want to hit is the A zone. And like Nick said, I'm, I'm going to, even though I have a decent size A zone and maybe it's close enough, it's easy to hit. I'm going to still see a small spot in the center of the A zone. But the dot is hardly ever going to lift from exactly where I'm looking, right? It's going to be around there somewhere, but it's not going to be there. And if the dot lifts, as an example, from the Alpha Charlie perf, and I'm not 100% certain whether that was an Alpha or a Charlie, like I'm honestly totally okay with that in like a mm-hmm. factor shooting exercise, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so if I, if I miss what I want to hit, which is the A zone, and I then get that Charlie on occasion, that doesn't really make me too like sad on the inside. I'm okay with that. But on steel, man, what I want to hit is the steel. Uh, but if, 
if that dot lifts from the edge of the steel, you know, and I don't know which one it is, and I miss what I want to hit on the steel by just a little bit, I get not a dang thing, right? Uh, and so the, mm -hmm. the, the, the risk reward there, you, you get punished for being off a little bit, a lot more, which is a, it's an interesting uh, <clears throat> little, little bit of a mental shift for me there anyway. But yeah, it was really good time. Great time working with Donovan a little bit. We've talked a little bit about on the podcast before. Um, and I, th I think we all kind of do mostly the same thing here. For like training efficiency purposes, like I almost exclusively train alone, right? When I'm going to the range to like work on stuff. Um, and and I, that's when I get the most benefit, especially for higher level shooters that can like self-diagnose like 99% of the stuff that you're doing, right? Um but man, on occasion, it's really, really good to get with other high level dudes that will, that will really push you and make you work for it and, uh, and kind of restoke that fire a little bit. So we had a really, really, really good time. But then uh, side note, kind of a funny story. So <laughs> I, uh, I'll just say I had a, you know, obviously my big Pelican case full of toys with me and uh, wasn't even considering like what you are or are not allowed to have like in Chicago or whatever. When I left the house and up there, wasn't too worried about that. Right. But then I'm going to see the whole reason I was even up there is I was going to see a federal customer in downtown Chicago. I mean, they're essentially across the street from the uh, old Sears tower. Now, now Willis tower. Um, again, wasn't too worried about it. I didn't really think we were I mean, going to see their building. I was actually setting up a shoot, our little, our mobile shoot house in like the street they have like an alley out of their building which is supposedly where i was going to be setting up the shoot house and i was like cool we don't have to go in like any kind of security envelope nothing like that no big deal so pull up sure enough it actually is inside the security envelope this little alley we were supposed to get to they have fencing across it there's like a big gate there i'm like still it's not gonna be an issue we'll just pull in and set this out of the truck so on and so forth and there's this like garage door that looks like it goes to an underground parking garage that wasn't going to be my thing. And they're like, oh, no, you actually have to go, to go through there. It's like a security. Next thing you know, I'm pulling in and it's like a security vehicle trap. They got doors down on both sides. And the guy's like, all right, you got to get out of the truck. And if you got anything in your pockets, just set it over here. I got to like wand you down and stuff. I'm like, well, you can wand me down right now. That's OK. But like, I don't know what else you're doing, you know. And uh, so he wands me down. It's all good gets a little mirror out and like goes around the truck and so on and so forth. And then he just kind of like sticks his head in my driver door and like looks right. I got a big old Pelican case there, a big old camo, like double bag and like another big old bag there. And he just goes, he's like, yeah, you're good. Let's <laughs> pull right in and do our business and got out of there. So <laughs> it was uh, fairly uneventful. But for those of you who, uh, I've ever like, for those of you that travel a lot and like get ready to go through TSA and you like, always have that moment where you're like, what what if there's a gun in there? Somewhere? <laughs> uh, had uh, had that feeling again. So, uh, went into uh, downtown Chicago, but thankfully I made it made it out of. Uh, yeah, downtown Chicago is fun, man. It's like uh, you know, you may or may not definitely want to carry a gun down there, and so people may or may not do that with or without a Floyd card. Um, but then like, dude, the police down there will straight up stop you, uh, if they see printing, like straight up and they'll ask you for a Floyd card. So it's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's definitely weird. Like I, I try to be really careful, even just driving through there, like, uh, driving out to Ohio. I always like try to 
obey all the traffic rules and not get pulled over it in any way. <laughs> uh, but yeah, really. sounds like maybe maybe I'd get I'd get right through potentially. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so anyway, good times. Got a couple questions to, to kind of discuss with you guys tonight. Uh, not kind of one big topic, um, but a couple really inter interesting questions that have come through, and, and just some topics of discussion from things that we've seen over the last couple of weeks uh, in, in classes and different things that I think would be interesting to kind of discuss and, and might be helpful. Uh, for some folks. First thing is, is this. Um, all the rage, we've talked about cold starts and different kind of standards and so forth. Um, the rage still kind of is in certain corners of the, of the training community, right? Um, you know, I, th I think there's certain people that essentially never fire around at anything they didn't print off on a sheet of eight and a half by 11 paper. And it's essentially like, lots of little circles or squares or whatever kind of a target you're you're shooting at but you're essentially trying to simulate a bigger target at a farther away distance by putting a small target up and shooting it up close right? uh so my question for you guys is what do you think the pros and cons are or does it matter right should we be training on on little stuff up close and again i'm mainly talking about pistols and you know home defense distance will say rifle stuff, right? Obviously there's a reason to train when you have to start thinking about holds and stuff at distance, but for like pistols and stuff, should we training on little stuff up close or, or maybe bigger, more realistic targets further away? What do you guys think? Man, uh, first of all, I really hate those cold start things. Um, <laughs> just cause I think a lot of people shoot them and then if they say, say they clean it or make the time or whatever, they think it's, Hey, I'm doing really well. And it's like, dude, you're not a better shooter for shooting that cold start drill, right? Like it's anyway. Um, I would rather have bigger stuff further away. I think that it's a lot harder than closer stuff. Uh, that's tiny. I think bigger stuff harder away is significantly more challenging because, um, because of the fact that you have to pick a very specific spot and the more, um, you know, input you put into the gun with your hands, the more you're going to see it because the target's further away. I think some of the, the closer stuff is relatively easy because it kind of takes away um, the whole piece of picking a specific spot on the target to plant your vision on. So I don't like that stuff. I'm not a fan. Mm -hmm. Brother, you may just want to like mute yourself when you're not talking, bro. Whenever you're not talking, it's pretty loud on your end, I think. Oh, really? Okay. All good. Um, yeah, so I think, so I used to not really know what the difference was too much. Um, yep. So like, especially when I was starting, um, yeah, I didn't, didn't really see, see a difference. Um, I think though, as, as I've gotten better at shooting, um, like part of it is exactly what Nick was saying, like picking that specific spot, that's challenging. Uh, for me, so like, I think it comes down to vision, right? So let's, let's just like pick dot torture, right? Mm -hmm. Dot torture commonly shot at like three, five and seven, right? Well, you take dot torture and you put it up at three yards and like, it is very easy to see precisely everything that's going on at three yards, right? Like super easy. Mm -hmm. um, when you try to hit an A zone at 50 or 35 or whatever, Right. Like for me, that is much more difficult for my eyes to actually focus on it, they, they get more easily distracted by the actual dot itself. 
Um, like my eyes, I have a hard time keeping my eyes focused on something. Um, so like I'll see my target sharp and clear. I bring out the gun and let's say I'm doing a 10 shot string, right? At shot five, my eyes just start blurring things out, right? Like it doesn't want to focus. I'm not looking at the dot, but I'm just not looking at the target anymore. It's just seeing everything kind of a little bit out of focus. And it's something that I have to work through. Um, at three yards, I never, that almost never happens for me right uh at farther distances it always happens um like beyond 15 20 uh that starts to really happen over a, a sustained string of fire so for me that's that's the big thing is like my eyes work better up close they have to work harder farther away to see things in detail um yeah so right. i think it's probably more beneficial shoot bigger stuff either way i i think what happens when targets get further like what you're talking about there brennan yeah. i think like start off target or they think that they're target focused and maybe they are at first, but since the target is further away and now you perceive more movement in the dot, like at three yards, the dot doesn't leave the, the target at 50. It 100% is. And since you perceive it to be like that, you start looking your, it's like your eyes bounce back and forth from the target to the dot. And it's something that, that I typically struggle with too. Like I have to really, really focus like, Nope keep your vision on that specific spot because if you allow your eyes to bounce back and forth it's like you you will then like put input into the gun and try to drive the gun back down to where you want the bullets to go but you can no longer do that because the target is now blurry so at least i think that's what people do maybe i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure that's what they do further mm -hmm. distances and right so at, especially when you're shooting at like three yards you've got an sort of an artificial synthetic if you will response on the target that's that's really helping you stay target focused because what are most people looking at when they're shooting at three yards the bullet hole they're looking at their bullet holes appearing in their paper right which is forcing them to be target focused even if they're not trying very hard now, that's not exactly what you should be doing, but presuming your bullet holes are appearing in the same spot, it's now really easy to be target focused if you're looking at those bullet holes versus like you were saying, even at 15 yards, like it's, it's, a, it's a whole different visual exercise as well. Um, I do think some of these targets and stuff can be really helpful for folks um, that don't have distance to work at, right? So that's an obvious, obvious caveat if you're, if you're confined, you know, to a single bay or whatever, there's things you can work on. Um, obviously additionally, you know, I think, and just to explain to folks, one of the reasons we, we, I think in, in classes, you see, you know, us working on experimenting, building things closer to the targets is it's simply so much more efficient in a class environment to, to walk down to a target or, or to kind of be able to see what's happening on a target that's five yards away versus if you're trying to walk a whole class up and down from the 25, like over and over and over again between every string to see what's happening. Like it's just not, not really conducive to a class environment. So even in my like higher level performance classes, we, 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 we introduce concepts on like simulated smaller targets up close and then we go test them from farther out, right? Which I think is, is, is totally fine. I, I think there's a couple other things I'll add about issues training up close. One of it, one of them is especially at like three yards, um, I think that literally the size of your bullets at three yards, like let you lie to yourself about your accuracy standards a little bit, just because it is so much easier to get line breaks just due to how like huge your bullet holes are. I mean, shooting, 
shooting at, as example, you know, I mean, a one inch paster at five yards is roughly equivalent to shooting an A zone at 25, right? Something like that. But like, I mean, the, the, your, your, your bullet holes are a third of that one inch paster, um, at, you know, at, at five yards. So that, that's like shooting a bullet at a 25 yard target that covers the entirety of like the C and the Delta zone. Right. So all those like way out line breaks that you're, 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 you're calling is good with USA scoring when you're shooting at three and five yards, like are realistically way outside your target. Um, so that that that's something to think about. If you are shooting close, definitely still still hold yourself to that, you know, kind of kind of accurate standard for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's like a similar idea of like people zeroing with uh, like I don't know, like the X ring of a B eight yeah. versus maybe like at ten yards, right? Uh, the X ring of a B eight uh, versus maybe like a one inch square at ten yards. Uh, like if you're putting all ten in that freaking X ring at twenty five yards, like more power to you like that's awesome that's a very small aiming point but at 10 yards like like that's a lot of deviation right so that's where like i'll tell people yeah like you can use a b8 get close right but then if you really want to refine your zero and really like trust it and you don't maybe you don't have time to go back to 25 uh and kind of see how you're grouping like you need to be able to pretty much stack them on top of each other um because just that little bit of deviation is going to be magnified over distance Yep. hundred percent. Right. A uh, couple other things to think about again, again, on vision, you know, I think one of the side effects too, even if you're not looking at your target, if you, when, when you do look at your dot or your front sight, um, when you're shooting at like three or five yards, like you can still see the target pretty well, <laughs> unlike any further away than that. Right. Um, so that, that's another way that it's, it's a little bit dishonest to you guys. We're talking about movement a little bit. Um, the other thing I think that's important to see is not just, just seeing a small spot, but also, and to be fair, most people shooting up close don't have any kind of scoring rings they're working on at three or five yards or just shooting like at a circle or something, right? But let's say you did have like a reduced size, you should say target um, at, at three yards. You can see those scoring zones like so clearly, right? Versus at 25 yards, it's so much it's so much harder to, to, to display. Like just know what your acceptable level of accuracy is on that target and hold yourself to it without that visual feedback. Last thing um, to think about is just dot is your is your is your uh, the way your dot looks on the target right so especially if you have a big dot it looks a lot different um, on your target at three yards versus twenty five yards right your dot's going to cover a lot more of the target and and knowing how to still use the center of it and put your your shots exactly where they need to go is is important so. Just encourage folks to think about that. Definitely explore stuff, build skills, all that kind of stuff. Great up close, but but make sure you're working. Take advantage of working at distance, man. Um, I think I think you'll you'll learn a lot. You'll 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 find deficiencies and be able to 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 fix things a lot a lot easier and a lot more quickly at, at distance. And it'll it'll give you some interesting stuff to work on. It. Well, but don't 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 think that working at distance is, is means it's now time to slow down. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. Right. That's it, 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 there's a lot of dudes that can shoot accurately at 25 yards in slow fire. Right. Um, it's doing it, doing it at speed is where the, is where the, where the fun, the fun is for sure. Yeah. Pushing, pushing speed at distance is like a very difficult visual exercise. Mm -hmm. Like very difficult. So if you could figure it out, uh, like going as, going as fast as you can, 
like at 25 yards beyond, it's going to be just mega helpful once you go back to like 10. Yep. Good stuff. Uh, I dig it. So we kind of, it's interesting. We talked about this a little bit. We talked about steel and close targets and so forth. Another interesting question, right? So I know that a lot of us train on, you know, USB-SA targets all the time um, because we shoot USB-SA and it's kind of a relevant target for us, right? But here's an interesting question, right? Does it does it really matter what targets we are using, or are there certain targets that are better for certain things? What kind of targets are you guys actually training on all the time? What do you think about you know B8s versus USB-SA targets versus IPSC targets versus all the other stuff that's out there? Um, do you think it matters, and and why do you do what you do? Man, there was a time when uh, I probably only shot B8s. Um, straight up like probably for six seven months it's like all i shot was b8s like 10 shots scored on a b8 that was that was what i did right and usually speed bulls and at the mm -hmm. end of that six months i would say like it was super easy for me to uh to hit things like i i learned what it took to hit small shit at distance yeah um but also at the end of that like I remember shooting like a 96 in sub six seconds and I'm like, why am I doing this still? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> why? Yeah. Like, uh, put, put the BH down, Nick, um, shoot something a little bit more difficult. And at the time I was like, well, these must be really difficult cause they're tiny, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I think, uh, my, my I think that uh, B8s are significantly easier to shoot at distance than something full size like a USPSA target. And a B8, and, and like, here's the reason, like, if, and I'm not ragging on anyone who shoots a bunch of B8s, but like, dude, at 25, a B8 for my eyeballs is like a fucking funnel. Like, mm -hmm. it funnels my eyes right to the center. Yep. A USPSA target at 25 is significantly harder because there's nothing to freaking aim at. It is a brown ass target. Um, so to me, the B8s take out the visual piece somewhat, right? Um, the, the, the whole picking a small, like it does that for you. Um, and so I think that if you shoot those a ton, I think you're kind of missing out. Like you need to shoot at something that doesn't have a scoring zone or, or like, you know, some sort of circle, you know, bullseye on it um a, a bigger real life size target right so yeah. I, yeah I think the bigger stuff is significantly harder than the b8 that's like a funnel for your eyeballs so Cer all the b8 guys are screaming right now certainly an entirely different challenge right um you, know, sure. you, you see guys going so far with the b8s as to, as to like you know, just do be like using like the circle, the circle only reticle or whatever that like just fits around the bull. So like they don't, they I don't, don't even have, they, don't, they don't have to look through a dot. Right. And I'm like, bro, I'm not trying to get the best at practicing. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to actually get better at shooting here. Um, like at, at a certain point, you're just like taking all of the vision out of it, which is kind of like what we should probably be, be trying to get good at. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah. <clears throat> I, I agree. I think there's there's also, you know, it's a trend. I'm, I'm interested to actually hear you talk about this, Brennan, because I know you guys use B8s for certain things, and I think B8s are great for certain things. Um, but there's there's a real trend for most, what ends up happening for most folks when you shoot B8s, right, is you obviously have built-in scoring for accuracy. That's pretty mm -hmm. self-explanatory. 
but now how do I balance that with speed? And so what ends up happening is we just simply have part times all the time for stuff, right? And there is there is no real balance of speed and accuracy. It's like no no matter what it is, I have to get a ninety or above, right? And so it's just like what's my part time? Um, there there's no so there's no real balance of understanding like hey here's my acceptable area of accuracy and what's you know, sub i'm not actually seeing the dot lift from the very very center of that every single time right and that's okay um that that all that kind of goes out the goes out the window a little bit but Brent, i know you mentioned like you guys have a system where you actually use hit factor um on on b8s a little bit right talk about that yeah, so um, we will use this on occasion. Uh, mostly what we do is we just we do accuracy with no time standard on mm -hmm. uh, BAs to start people, and then right. we move straight on to USPSAs. Right. But if you are stuck on BAs, right, um, you can it, – it, it's weird, right? Like I can't call it hit factor, but it's the same, it's the same idea uh, because it's just different values for the points. Um, but, yeah, like if you shoot like a 90 in 10 seconds and you got like a 9 hit factor, right and so you can reward both speed and accuracy appropriately on the scale um now it only works for b8s like you can't just go apply it to some other random target that you have because obviously it's not going to be the same standard right um but i think that's actually a pretty pretty rad way to score them if that's something that you are kind of stuck with like i know when i was uh kind of earlier on in my shooting um I was printing off all my targets on eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper. Right. Right. Like I didn't even know really that you could buy USPSA targets. Uh, like I was like, whatever, like that's just that matches or whatever. Um, and you go to like, you know, your indoor range and they just have these huge ass silhouettes. Yep. Right. Yep. And it was like, well, that seems dumb. Like I'm not going to shoot that thing. And so I would shoot off, I'd print off like Taprax P8 repair center, right? And I'd take a bunch of those. I'd put four of those up on a big piece of, I'd shoot them, right? Um, I think you can do it, right? But yeah, I also don't think it's like the end all be all target for sure. I also think it's maybe like a little bit better or um, more versatile overall to just use USPSA target and like use the head box, right? Head box is six by six. It's like, half the size of an A zone. Um, and then if you really want to hold yourself to like a higher standard, like land them in the credit card. Right. Um, or freaking, you know, whatever, uh, shooting partials, right. People, you, you see people sh shit the bed all the time on partials or tuxes or something like that because they suddenly freak out that it's a different size target. And I'm like, you clearly don't understand what your sights need to look like to get a hit on any particular target <laughs> because like you're freaking out that the target's a different size or right. shape. Right. Uh -huh. um, I've had people kind of come at me like, Oh man, like the only reason you can shoot so fast is because you're doing it on the rectangle a zone and not the eight inch circle a zone. <laughs> I'm like, all right, give me an eight inch circle a zone. Like, let's go. Like I will adjust because if my dot is going out of it, like I will fix it. <laughs> right. Like, so I think people get wrapped around the axle about it a little unnecessarily. Yeah, I just want to tell those people like, hey man, uh, do me a favor, shoot at A zone at twenty five. Give me ten, just like you would on a B eight, <laughs> and shoot it at the same pace, and we'll we'll check the accuracy at the end. Yeah. Tell me, tell me what it's like. Yeah. I, I already know what it's going to be like, but <laughs> I, I want you to find out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so, it's so funny. We used, one of the ways we used to, to test this, we, we have these, um, anatomy targets we used to use that, you know, where it's similar to like, uh, but there was different ones that are out there, but they also had, we had uh, a three by five card, you know, vertically or oriented head box. That was a printed three by five card, like square. And then we had a six inch box, um, in the, in the body, neither of which were any, any accident. But folks would be, you know, running those targets all day, no problem, great accuracy, just keeping everything in the scoring zones, good to go. And then, like, you drop a T-shirt, like, you put the same paper targets up, but you drop a T-shirt over that thing, right, so they can't see the scoring zones. And all of a sudden, man, they're, like, throwing, like, deltas and just stuff everywhere, right? And I'm talking, I'm not talking at 20 yards, I'm talking at, like, inside of 10 yards, right? Um, and it, it really is wild what the, the, the difference uh, when you start throwing in individual visual discipline aspect so i don't know if you guys nerd out about this as much as i do but as far as if we're if we're not using bullseyes right if we're using um maybe some kind of other larger silhouette type style target do you guys care if it is a usbsa target or an ipsic target by the way before I, some people are really freaking out about what we're supposed to call these targets that is what they're called in the u in the rule book um if you don't like that I'm sorry. It's literally what it's called. They're called in the in in the rule book. Um, I don't like the fact that the one that people call classic is the newer one. Um, that makes no sense to me at all, which is why I don't really call it that so much. But anyway, does it matter to you guys whether you're using like the USA targets, IPSC targets, some kind of FBI, you know, Q target or whatever, or or what do you like about the USA target if that is your preferred target? I usually pick the USPSA target just because um, I'm a bit of a turtle uh, and I could put that big ass target up close and it's significantly harder for me. Um, if I use the, is are the classic ones the turtle? The, yeah. The, okay. If I use those, those seem to be significantly easier. Um, and I think really? it's just for, the, I, for me, yeah. And I think it's the same exact reason that a B8 is easier. True, too, because it, it like funnels my vision in, but uh, yeah, no full size, full size USPSA target, and um, yeah, I, I think it's significantly harder for me personally, the type of shooter that I am. Yeah, because I know that 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 requires speed, and um, I can hit stuff already. But the speed aspect, like shooting stuff fast, is uh, not comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I use USPSA targets mostly because that's mostly what I shoot at matches. Um, yeah, the, the IPSC ones come into play sometimes. I don't like those as much. Um, partially, I um, – this is going to sound really weird. Um, I, like, don't mind shooting humanoid-shaped targets, right? Yeah. Uh, like, when it translates over to, like, defensive-type shooting and things like that, mm -hmm. I like being able to – um, like straight up. So if I'm shooting like a, like a, like a photo reel type target size thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm kind of envisioning like top of the A zone, like, mm -hmm. right? Like that top line, high thoracic. Uh, that's a pretty good place from what I understand about human bodies to put like bullets. Um, so yeah, I like the, I kind of like the humanoid shape thing. I also like that I can use the head box almost as a separate target. Um, that's smaller. I like that. Like I'll just put a piece of tape and then just use the six by six. Um, 
I also dig them because the A zone to me is uh, like 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 a like a USPSA versus like an IDPA with a circle. Mm -hmm. um, I like that the A zone is taller. Um, partially, it's because I like to shoot a lot of build drills, uh, <laughs> and my dot goes up and down. Um, I like that, um, but I don't think it really matters. Like I'm not going to be uh, not going to be messed up if if I get one target over the other. Um, a whole lot, but my, my preference is to go for the uh, USPSAs. Same. Think, things that are important to me on a target, obviously graduated scoring zones are, are absolutely crucial. Um, I mean, that's, that's the only way you're, you're, you're working on balancing, you know, uh, speed and accuracy uh, is if you have balanced, balanced scoring zones. They also need to be sized in a way that is beneficial to the style of shooting that you want to do. So I really like having a, a zero penalty scoring zone in the middle of the target. That's, that's roughly six inches. I don't really care if it's a circle like an IDPA target or a, or an A zone like a USA target. Um, but that, that, that generally is a, a pretty good size, right? It's a pretty good size. Um, and the rest of the scoring zones on the USA target make a lot of sense. Um, the places where the target are less forgiving, like up in the shoulders, make a lot of sense for practical training. Um, the way that it's training you to see that, like you mentioned, Brennan, that, that big silhouette target and plant your eyes in a very realistic spot in the center of it and high in it are all really good. I do, I do like the fact that you said that they, like, it's more forgiving up and down versus left and right, not only for terminal ballistic reasons, but because it makes sense when it comes to shooting, right? If I have a lot of weird stuff going on left and right, that's a real, a lot bigger concern to me than if my timing was a little bit off and recoil or whatever the case may be. Um, so I, I like the target for those reasons a lot. I actually really wish the credit card in the head box was the other way. That would be way cooler. Um, but other than mm -hmm. that, the, the USB state targets are, uh, are, are really good all the way around for, for all those things. And I, uh, I, I dig them a lot. So I, so I had a guy who, uh, is very heavy on like the defensive side, right? Uh, concealed carry only never does anything else yeah. uh, all that right so he made his target and um he made it wider than a traditional a zone and shorter than a traditional a zone so now it's a rectangle the other way kind of more like a square but it, like it's slightly rectangular in that it was wider than it was tall. and his thing was like the target on a human is like nipple to nipple and then like a certain number of inches from like your collarbone down to like the bottom of your uh, whatever sternum or something. Right. And he was getting very into like the anatomy side of it. My thing was like, why are you rewarding me for improper grip pressures on the gun when my gun is going left and right. Right. And I was like, also what is above like, the a zone well it's like mm -hmm. the face zone which is like the other common place you might put bullets yeah right um it really weird to me like he he like is a he's actually a medical professional um and approaches it from that point of view i think that lends itself to poor poorer standards of shooting yeah um overall and i'm like give me a narrower taller target and I will get really good at that. And then I'll come destroy your target also, right? Because <laughs> like I can do it uh, and I'm not, you know, and, and that's part of the reason I don't like the eight inch circle as much because it's literally an inch wider than an A zone. Um, I don't know. 
the so the yeah that's really my issue with the anatomy targets right is it's not actually about shooting unless you're like only shooting confirmation three on stuff right like if you're very intentionally putting bullets exactly where you want them to go well then maybe the anatomy target's kind of cool but if you're throwing up like a, a, a sub two second build drill on an anatomy target and going, oh, that one over in the left, that one's okay because it tagged this artery or whatever. But this one that's <laughs> over here closer to the center, but only got lung is like not as good. I'm like, bro, that's okay. That's all fine and good. Like, I guess that's maybe kind of cool to know in the end, but realistically what I want to do is put like a bunch of shots in the middle of the target, like as quick as I can. And, and I want a target that rewards me for doing that. Um, that's that's outcome based training, right? right? Like that's how I see it. Is they look at the end result of the target, uh, and and they judge each bullet hole. Versus like I know dudes who can only do that, and they won't ever get faster because right. they won't allow themselves to be process driven instead of outcome driven. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know exactly, and it's, and it's like I feel like when you. <laughs> You know, again, when, when you if you're if you're slowing down to the point where you do like, you know, really, really good on on that kind of a target. Like, I just I don't see those kind of guys shooting that way for reals. You know what I mean? Like, it, you end up just kind of spraying when you don't have those when those those little uh, target zones to hit. So I just don't really feel like it works out too well. Yeah. Um, I I don't like the 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 turtle slash classic slash ipsic targets at all just because they don't make sense. Um, I, I, don't, I don't understand. There's no like logic behind the graduation of the scoring zones, the way the scoring zones are shaped. Like it just, it just doesn't make sense. There's no, there's no, in my mind, any logical reason for the center of the biggest part of the A zone to be where it is. It's not in the middle of the target. It's not anywhere on the target that you could really predict where it would be uh, unless you just learn that target really well or you're close enough to see it. Right. Um, and so that, and that's kind of irritating to me, but it, it's fine. It, it still does the job. Um, if, uh, if, if you want to use those, there's a lot of other silhouette, you know, targets that are out there. Again, I just consider what, what, what's the process you're trying, trying to achieve, make sure it has scoring zones that reward that and make sure that it's visually challenging. Um, you know, if it's, if it's, you know, somebody like the, um, you know, the, the F, you know, that I think the newer, the newer version of like the FBIQ target has that like really highlighted dark, like mini, you know, hit box going through the center of it. And then like lighter scoring zones and stuff like that. That's not, it's not the, not the visual challenge that I'm going for. Um, and so that, uh, that's just my take on, on targets. Anything else on that fellows? I think that covers it pretty well. I would say so. Cool. So uh, last thing, we're uh, we're getting pretty close to the end here, but I thought it, I got some more, actually a, a few questions about this over the last week. Um, and it's it's one of those questions I think is really, really valuable to discuss, but also super difficult to answer. Um, and that is essentially what kind of outcomes can you expect for what level of investment? In other words, sometimes I feel like, you know, it's, it's difficult for, you know, the guys, you know, the three of us or guys like us to get on a podcast like this. And we, and we talk about shooting as guys that are shooting, you know, multiple thousands of rounds a month and that kind of thing. And we're, and therefore our expectations and what we think of as good shooting versus sucky shooting is aligned with our context. Right. Um, when that's just not necessarily 
realistic for probably a lot of the folks that are listening to said podcast, right? Um, so I'd be interesting to hear kind of what you guys think. We'll, we'll maybe get to some some specifics, but I have people, you know, hey man, um, I, I can I can realistically get to the range once a month, once once every other month. Maybe I have a few hundred rounds a month to shoot at the range. If I'm lucky, I can do some amount of dry fire, right? Maybe I can, maybe realistically, I think everybody can do the five to 10 minutes dry fire, you know, a day that we all recommend, but, uh, but certainly I'm not that guy that's doing like an hour in the morning and an hour a night of dry fire every day either. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if you guys have any good recommendations for folks. Like what do you think, with kind of various levels of investment, participation, time, and ammo spent into training and so forth, what should people expect as far as outcomes? Um, if people generally want to get good at shooting, what do you think is like the minimum required investment that folks are looking at? Um, or, uh, or any thoughts you guys have along those lines? And I think the outcome is directly related to the amount of time that they put in it. Right. And, and, and not just the amount of time, but the um, the, the quality uh, 100%. that the quality of stuff that that you put into it. Right. Like if you just if you just draw the gun and do a, a slow trigger press every time uh, straight up, man, like do not expect to get really good. Um, but if you're really digging into like, hey, what do I need to do? Like, I, I only have this amount of bullets and this amount of time and I need to make it worth it, right? Like, what do I need to do with this amount of time that I have, say, to dry fire? So I have 20 minutes, 10 minutes in the, in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening to dry fire, um, and I don't know, 300 rounds a month or something. Like, you need to make that, like, very, very, very specific in terms of what you're doing and the quality of what you're doing needs to be spot on. Like, no time can be wasted. Um, I don't know. That, that's just like, like for me, I, I don't, I don't like wasting time at all. Uh, but like, I'm a, also like a bit of a nutcase on like my level of performance as I think you, you guys are too as well. So, yeah, I think, I think that's a, a huge place to start. Right. So maybe we can, we can throw out some specific tips there. I think getting value out of, out of what you're doing is, 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 I mean, it's, it sounds so obvious, but I know we're harping on this because we just see dudes not doing that <laughs> so much. Right. Yeah. And we've already, we've already talked about, um, I think, um, different kinds of training as an example, right. I, I mentioned that, that practice session I did earlier. I probably shot 600 rounds like stronghand weekend only all, all on steel. Right. That was probably like a 35 or 40 minute session. That was one of those where I had a cooler of ice and two guns, and I'm swapping out guns, trying to keep one cool enough that I can keep shooting it type deal, right? You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like I was getting after it, right? Um, that that isn't, and I got enormous value out of that. That's very different from like you know, again, going to the range with like five dudes, and I mean, you're gonna be there all day to to, to, to try to get through the same amount of uh, of value, even if you even can, right? So. Um, Let's let's throw out some good some good value tips that, as far as taking advantage of your time. One thing I'll say really really quickly is, man, you got to be pacing your targets. Um, if yes. you're out if you're out there using like the sharpie marks are not it, bro. Like, no. 
you if need... you're having to guess, it's not good. Um, <laughs> paste that thing. Most, most, most of the time, I'll say this too: like just doing the negative pasting, like pasting outside the A zone, like that's not it either. Um, you've really got to be able to see exactly where your rounds are going, looking for trends, seeing what you're doing. If you want to get the most value out of every single rep, so I guess that's a, that's a that's a good one. Make sure you're you're really pasting and getting full value out of uh, out of every, every rep you're doing. I'll, I'll throw one more out and then I'll uh, let you guys uh, say, say something if you want. Um, just think about like what are the things that you can only work in live fire, and 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 think about emphasizing those things in your training, right? So, um, you know, don't be don't be doing reloads on the range. Like if you've got really limited time and 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 effort and ammo, like don't be burning your time on the range. That stuff, right? That that stuff that you can you can get full value out of in in dry fire um same thing with like one shot draws right yeah, like you don't need to be really doing that on the range that much right that that's that's all stuff you can really really do at home if you want to check it once or twice on the range and you get there fine but like that's not your range session right you're looking at, at at longer round count stuff you're looking at more dynamic stuff you're looking at recoil control making sure your grips really really squared away and, and vision um is gonna be the big stuff you're gonna be working i think uh, uh on the range in in my opinion and 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 that's a, a good point as well. Like, I mean, even if you have limited amount of, of ammo to, to use, um, low round count like stuff is not necessarily the move, <laughs> right? <laughs> Maximum value stuff is, per round is the move. That doesn't necessarily mean every drill you're shooting is only going to be two or three rounds. Because like, that may not be training what you actually need to work on. Um, so that's a, that's something to stay away from as well. But, uh, I know we're getting kind of a, a little bit of a rabbit trail, but any, any other quick tips you guys have for like taking maximum advantage of your time and ammo on the range and getting maximum yeah. from it? I, I love, I love all that. What you just said, I, I would say that if you have limited amount of ammo, uh, or limited amount of time on the range, when you get to the range, I would do something that you, like you said, can't do in dry fire, which is typically marksmanship, mm -hmm. so like marksmanship, right. That, that might sound boring. Like, Hey, I'm group shooting, but like, it's not just, hey, can I shoot a tiny group? It's, hey, how durable is my grip throughout the string of fire? Um, how is the gun behaving throughout the string of fire? Is it very consistent? You know, stuff like that. That's the stuff that we're looking for when we shoot marksmanship, not, not just, hey, how small of a group can I shoot? It's how is the gun behaving? And um, what is my vision doing? Like all, all of the things that you cannot do um, – with dry fire can be done with mm -hmm. marksmanship and live fire. And, yep. and, then, and then I use that auditing what you're seeing, I think is huge because even though you can, I mean, you can, can you, can you dry fire group shooting in dry fire? Like sure. But are you actually being honest with yourself? <laughs> right. Um, are you actually, do you actually know where every round went based upon what you're seeing in dry fire? Mm -hmm. um, is, is really the question you can only tell that by doing it on the so um another thing i'd add to that <clears throat> to, to to maximize kind of that that amount of time or, or ammo that you've got like what i see a lot of dudes doing is they pick a drill uh that they want to be good at right and so they they shoot the drill and they're like oh crap like i wasn't very good at that i guess i'll do it again right and they do it again, and maybe it's a little bit better, and they're like, all right, let's do that again. And so they do it again, now it's worse. And they're like, oh, shit, like, now what do I do? And they're kind of a little bit lost, right? What I would tell people is if you've got limited amount of ammo or time, 
Don't just keep shooting the same stupid drill over and over again, hoping that you get better at it. Um, figure out how you want to shoot it, right? You want, does it need to be faster? Does it need to be more accurate? What are the things that need to happen? Uh, or what is the end result that you are trying to go for? Um, and then maybe like uh, stop shooting that, go home, dry fire some of those skills in isolation, maybe uh, text a friend who is better at shooting than you are, maybe ask them how they would approach that, say, here's what I'm dealing with, these are the results I'm getting, how do I get better at these skills, right? Get some help there, dry fire that stuff, and then come back and see if you can be better at it, right? Like, I think um, I think shooting a drill over and over, hoping to be good at it is, is A, just bad practice, um, but B is something that like only people with a ton of ammo, uh, can do <laughs> and get like any benefit out of it. Like there is some, there is a point, I think with some parts of shooting where like, you just need to shoot the dang thing and you need to do it multiple times and you need to figure out what's going on so that you have seen it enough to diagnose like an actual problem. Right. I don't think a whole ton of people are at that level um, where they, where they need to be doing that. So, um, that's, that's, that's one thing I would say is just get really, get really, uh, detailed about what you actually want to accomplish, figure out what that needs to be, like ask for help. If you need it, take a class, if you need it, uh, if you, if you boil it down to, Hey, my transitions suck, then go train with somebody and figure out how to do better transitions and then go reapproach the drill. Right. So that's, that's, that's the thing that I would say specifically, um, yeah, I think that, I think that'd be very helpful. Yeah. One, one more thing to add, uh, when you do get to go to the range, don't only train to the timer. Like we see this all the time. Yeah. Um, dudes will go, Oh, that's a really fast time. Let me try to beat it. And it's like, do you know why that was a really fast time? Cause if you did, it would really help to get faster and faster. Right. So like Brent said, I think, um, you know, really focusing on the, the small details, that's what's going to get you faster and more accurate. Not so much um, just only training to a timer and only worried about what the time is. And, and kind, of, kind of to piggyback off of that as well, <clears throat> like with, with this whole idea of, um, you know, how much, how, much re, how much benefit am I getting for the amount of investment that I'm, you know, investing? I think that there's all, it's also important to know that there's like a kind of a grid, like a scale, right? And as you get better and better, there is going to be needing uh, more time, potentially a lot more rounds to continue, continuously see like significant improvement, right? So I think that for some people, um, if you are super limited, uh, you may kind of get to a spot where you kind of plateau and there's kind of just a lot of maintenance going on and there's maybe, maybe it will take a bunch more ammo or a bunch more time or something in your life to change in order for you to kind of break through that. Like I for sure was there. Um, and it was frustrating and it kind of sucked. Uh, but like, that's a real thing. And so I think if people understand that as well, they're like, Hey man, I got to like this level of my shooting and there's like this one more step. And I feel like there's all this stuff beyond that step that I can do. And they just can't break through it. I have to look at how much they're actually, 
how much time and effort and, and, and money and ammo they can actually throw at the problem. And sometimes people can't do that. And I think it's important to know that like there might be a spot where the amount of time you're putting into it is just going towards maintenance uh, instead of actual skill development. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. You gotta, gotta have realistic expectations, you know, uh, for what you're putting in um, before I, maybe we'll talk about some specifics, but uh, really quick, right. Number one, not everybody, if we can't, you can't predict it perfectly. Not everyone's going to get the same results with the same amount of effort that's put in. Um, different people kind of understand things better. You have different levels of hand-eye coordination. Um, and, and there's there's going to be big outliers. Um, one of the things that I see, there's, there's you know, everyone likes to talk about the, the real success stories where folks got really, really good, like just from dry fire with really minimal range time. Um, the, the, the trend that I see for there, right. Not to downplay the, the, the importance of dry fire, massively important, especially if you're budgeting range time and ammo. Um, if you're not dry firing, like I, I'm not really sure if you really want to get better or not, but, um, at the same time, like the guys that are getting really, really good from just dry firing are putting in, I think a lot of time dry firing. Um, I feel like and this has just been my experience, right? Um, it, if I'm going to the range, you know, every week, right? That 15 minutes a day of dry fire does a lot for me because it's constantly being re-educated by range time. I got new things to work on. I'm, I'm, I'm able to check very regularly. Am I being honest with myself and what I'm seeing in dry fire? Where am I actually at? So on and so forth. Um, Versus if I'm not going to the range once every two months, like I feel like a lot of those guys are putting in, you know, an hour or even more sometimes a day to get the same kind of results. Um, so I would say I understand that um, to get really good from just dry fire. It takes, it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort and a lot of really intentional uh, effort. Also, your um, like, like Brennan just kind of mentioned, I think your, your, edu your education on technique is going to really impact the results you get out of the work you are putting in. Like, like you said, Brendan, if, if I don't, if I don't know how to do something differently in order to get better results, then all I'm doing is practicing, right? I'm just like trying to do the same thing over and over again in the hopes that maybe it gets a little bit more consistent. Maybe I'll round out some edges. It'll get smoother, but if I'm not changing anything. Um, then I'm not going to be seeing like big leaps and bounds forward. Um, and you know, make you can change things just by figuring things out on, you know, yourself, um, for sure. But also just, just through some kind of education, whether that's reading a book, whether it's from watching YouTubes or listening to a podcast, or in fact, going and taking a class, right. Is, is one of the, the really good ways. If you're getting to the point where you don't really know, what do I need to be doing differently? Um, what are the things I need to fix? What, you know, how, how do I do things differently to improve? That's a, that's a great time to, to, to save up and, and go take a class because it's going to, it's going to make your, your training and your practice just, you know, be running off of, off jet fuel. Cause then you actually know you have ideas of things you need to fix and improve on. Um, with that said, I don't know if you guys have, have any kind of, kind of baseline stuff. I think it's totally fair to say like, man, if you got, just to give folks some ideas. If you got, you know, 500 rounds a month, you're not, you're, you're probably not going to be making GM. You're definitely not going to be like winning nationals, that kind of stuff. Just to give folks an idea. I mean, I think when I was chasing masterclass, just, just in matches, I think I shot like 
30 matches in like six months, um, which is like 10,000 rounds just in match ammo with no practice. Right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it, it, it definitely takes, it definitely takes time and effort. With that said, I feel like, um, certainly with, you know, a thousand rounds a month, but probably with, with, with good practice and dry fire, if you've got 500 rounds a month, you can dedicate towards training and you're putting a daily dry fire, um, shooting <coughs> in, in my mind to like, you know, uh, a black belt, you know, stand, you know, patch standards from, from modern samurai, that, that, that kind of stuff, right. The, the sub two second build drills, the, the, you know, good, good draws, being able to draw and hit from distance, that kind of stuff, I feel like is totally doable. Yes. Um, with, yep. with that kind of training that, that, that in line with what you guys are seeing as well. Oh hundred percent and that's partially due to that kind of uh that type of shooting versus like uspsa type of shooting yep. is generally not like hey you need to be really good at uh six 20 to 30 round courses of fire mm -hmm. um so if you want to get good at that kind of stuff there's a lot more things going on that need practice uh, versus like, Hey, I just want to do a six round thing really good. Well, then that's going to take you six rounds at a time. It's not yep. going to take you 10 different skills that you're having to put together and then test. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yep. I definitely agree. Yep. Um, yeah, but I, I think you can, you can probably be passable um and, and fairly confident with less than that but i think it's really difficult and take a lot of intentionality and a lot of intentional dry fire um to me you know i because when, when i was as just this where this is coming from my perspective when i was starting off i started off when i was you know 19 uh mowing grass for a living right like the money was not there uh for ammo and i feel like under 500 rounds a month was was certainly i think you can you can maybe maintain uh, a little bit that way but man trying to get better um with under that i feel like is is really difficult um yeah i see if you're trying to break into like m or gm territory it's nearly impossible oh um, for sure yeah yeah, yeah. no yeah, yeah. I'm not, like i think <laughs> yeah like i think if you're like oh like i just started uspsa it's really cool and you want to like get classified and do pretty good at your first dozen or so matches then like, yeah, you'll make a lot of improvements with that kind of, with that kind of stuff. Right. Or mm -hmm. if you start doing like the, the 12 dry fire drills from Steve Anderson, right? Like you, you will be better at USPSA from doing those things. Um, but once you are kind of at a fairly high skill level, like, like I'll, I'll say it. Like I was at the point probably before I started working at Vortex where I was down to about 500 rounds a month. Right. And now I shoot probably four times that. Uh, like in practice and it makes like a huge difference <laughs> yeah um and uh that can like with that i'm not dry firing for as long um or as frequently as i used to either because i'm able to actually go work stuff out on the range um but if that changed like you would see my dry fire go way up and if i was trying to stay on a similar trajectory i would be <coughs> trying my best to get in probably like at least a thousand rounds a month and I'd be upping that dry fire schedule back to like daily. Um, and the amount of time and intensity that I'm putting into it would, would go up significantly. Yeah. I think it's important to remember, to, like for people that don't know, um, I think it, like if you want to shoot USPSA, say, you know, you want to be something a class or above, 
like straight up guys, that is a massive commitment. And that is, it needs to like almost take over your life. Okay. Like it's, it can't dude, confirm. Uh, yeah, man. Like people that, that are into that, like that is the only thing they're into. I would like to deer hunt. I don't have time to deer hunt, man. Like I'm either, uh, teaching a class, shooting or watching kids. Like I, <laughs> I, I legit don't have time. Um, and if I do have time, I'd rather be shooting, right? Because I'm chasing after performance. So, I mean, you literally have to be like a freak about it. You have to let it consume you if you want to get that good. Yep. Yep. So ho- hopefully, hopefully we are, we are motivating uh, folks to get out there and, and really <laughs> get after it them as, away. <laughs> as opposed to just like crushing souls here. Um, but yeah. look, man, I think what I, I guess what I'm trying to get at was trying to get out with this little thing is like, man, um, not everybody needs to go try to make M class in USPSA, no. right? That is not the point of some of the things that we're saying here, right? You even, should. Even if you're not that guy, right? You're saying, look, man, like, I, I, I may not even have enough time and effort to try to make a class this year, right? What we're saying is, hey, you can still go get it, go shoot a match and learn stuff and get better, right? And it's still gonna, it's still going to be beneficial for you, um, even if you're not going to really push it to, um, to, to that level. You can absolutely still learn stuff and still get better. Um, so there's, there's levels of this stuff, but I just want folks to have, you know, kind of a understanding of that. Yeah, man, there's uh, there's a direct correlation behind between progress and, uh, and, and how much you're putting into it. You know, it's gotta, gotta put gas in the tank, fortunately to, to make that thing go. So cool. Final thoughts, anything we're uh, missing guys before we, before we wrap up, everybody, everybody good. Appreciate you guys being here tonight. I think that's been been good. Covered uh, covered covered a lot of good stuff. Hopefully, it's helpful for folks listening. If to our listeners, if you are uh, not following or not aware of uh, of these guys, make sure to check them out. All their information will be down below. Follow follow uh, these guys social media. Check out the website to get a chance to train with any of us. I promise you will not regret it. And uh, until next time, that was uh, speed up and get your hits. We'll see you on the next episode.